minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I am joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome back to another Friday edition of the show. Thanks, Kyle. Excited to be here. Um, We do have a tiny bit of breaking news to cover. Uh, Josh Sitton has announced his retirement, according to ESPN Wisconsin, which means, of course, that we've seen the retirements of Sitton, TJ Lang, Jordy Nelson, and John Kuhn, along with the departures of Randall Cobb and Clay Matthews within the last month. So there certainly has been a It's been a tough time for folks who have an emotional tie with a lot of these players. There's there's a lot of jerseys um, of of Green Bay Packers that probably um, will will be uh, hanging in closets a little bit longer this season. Absolutely. And we want to wish these guys the best in retirement. And I think we'd be hard pressed to find a list of players that were near to fans' hearts than the list that you just read off. Uh, I know that I have countless awesome Packers memories tied to each and every one of those guys. And it's weird to think that the future of the green and gold will not have any of those guys in it. Uh, But we are here to talk about the present and the future of this Packers team. And here on the Packaday podcast, we are committed to giving you the best run-up to the draft coverage possible. And so this week on the Packaday team, we've taken some time to give our listeners a deep dive into the draft profiles of Devin White, Brian Burns, and Josh Allen. So if you've missed any of those episodes this week, make sure you go back and listen to those after you're done listening to this episode, because today we are super excited to dedicate this entire episode to bringing you the draft profile of Houston defensive lineman Ed Oliver. And to help us take a deep dive into who Ed Oliver is, we're excited to get to an interview that we had with Ben Solak of the Draft Network. Ben will be our featured guest on next Friday's episode of the Draft of the Pack-A-Day podcast as he will be joining us to talk about offensive line prospects in the draft and we're really looking forward to sharing that conversation with you but while we had Ben on the line we asked him for his thoughts on Ed Oliver and as it turns out Ben gets fired up to talk about Ed Oliver so we wanted to share that interview with you as part of today's episode so here is our interview with Ben Solak of the Draft Network on Houston D-Lineman Ed Oliver. So, Ben, Ed Oliver was getting some love as a potential top three pick for most of the last few college football seasons, um, really ever since his senior year in high school. Um, then after some some of this year's season, suddenly nobody can find a place for him in the top ten. His pro day seemed to remind the media just how great a talent he is. But can you break him down as a prospect and tell you or tell us where you think he'll get picked in the 2019 draft? Man, Ed, guess all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, like if you ask me things I'm interested in for the draft, like I was on a radio hit in Nashville earlier today. Like, what are you most interested in to see in the draft? And I said Gruden and Mayock and the Raiders. But number two is where the heck do we put Ed? Like, this is I don't know. No, this is crazy. Uh, yeah. So the timeline for Ed Oliver for me was like, watch him, fall in love with him, put him top two. Um, <laughs> and then like a couple months later, watch Quinn Williams when he exploded, fall in love again put him number one overall he's my top player and Ed's remained in my top six I want to say top seven he might have hopped out of my top five um 
but he's in my top five now for my, my final board now that I finished evaluations and put in uh, athleticism. Now, where I have him ranked and where he fits is two different matters entirely because I've been one of the more vocal guys about, listen, I don't I don't know if this guy's going top 10. And the reality is that just comes down to, to people that you talk to. And when you talk to people in the NFL, there's a, a clear trepidation that a guy who, you know, rushed from 275 pounds from the zero tech in the AAC isn't going to translate as seamlessly to 285 to 90 at the three technique in the NFL. Like there's just a lot of jumps that need to happen there. And even for teams that like Oliver, jumps are scary. Even when you like a prospect, if you the amount of projection you have to put in him obfuscates things, it clouds things, it makes it more difficult to project. And so like I love Ed Oliver. I'm also scared, but he's low floor for sure. And 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 teams only have one top 10 pick. And so if there are two guys they have ranked similarly and one of them is going to have to like quote unquote change positions and like rush from a different you know technique and use different skills and add mass, they're going to go for the other guy. That's why it's tough to slot Ed. Like if I could talk to all 10 teams in the top 10, I'd have a much better feel for where if and where one team is willing to grab him, but I can't. It's just kind of like the general feel from the league. And so it's going to be a question of where's that one team that's willing to take that risk. And it's very tough to just identify the team that's willing to do it. Every team picks their picks and chooses their spots to be risky. They use different metrics, different analyses to determine the spot to be risky. So it's hard. You know, wh- whoever takes Ed, it's going to be a leap. And it's just hard to project leaps in the top 10. And so I expect Oliver to go somewhere in the teens. I wouldn't be shocked if a team trades up for Oliver, especially if he's in the teens. They're going to if a team picking Oliver is going to have a top five grade on him because they're going to believe in him. And so I would expect to see a trade up for him if he starts to get into like 17, 18, 19. He could go top 10. He could go four to the Raiders. Heck, like who the heck knows? You know <laughs> what I mean? So they, it's 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 such a wide range of slots for a non, you know, for for Ed Oliver to go. It's such a wide range of opportunity for him. I, I like, you know, the beat I have right now is the NFL doesn't expect him to go top 10. If that changes, as we get closer. Then it changes as we get closer. But that's the impression I get right now. That's super interesting. And I think Andrew and I both are pretty big at Oliver fans and would love to see him. Smart in, fellas. In Green Bay. <laughs> yeah, we, we would love the idea of him in Green Bay. Um, if you had to use one word to explain how Ed Oliver wins and why he might be successful, what word would you use there? <laughs> uh, leopard jaguar <laughs> jackhammer like you know what i mean like i feel like dwight Schrute using three words to describe himself oh man uh, yeah awesome. I, I i have to keep it in like in in scouting jargon just how you understand the players it comes down to agility uh when you're rushing from the interior right you're not taking that outside edge track that typically is from the edge you have a two-way go kind of from the jump because if you rush through the a gap or the b gap you're still gonna end up in the quarterback's lap you know what i mean uh, and, and the thing about interior pressure, why it's valuable, why teams are increasingly valuing it, is because it's quicker than outside pressure. It's quicker than edge pressure. And it ends up right in the quarterback's lap. He can't step up into throws. And so as offenses increasingly decrease, increasingly lower their time to throw, bring it lower and lower every season, interior pressure, which is quicker than outside pressure, becomes more valuable. 
So that so so a guy like Ed who wins with agility, a guy like Ed who wins by very quickly being able to hop into a gap, establish a half man relationship, slant into a gap, and immediately present color to a quarterback. That's going to move the quarterback off of his set point, and it makes your other jobs easier for your other rushers. So Ed's got great power. He's got great leverage. He's very 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 explosive. But it's the agility to establish those half man relationships and to show color quickly that's going to move quarterbacks off their spot, and it makes him such a disruptive player. Okay, so then on the flip side of that, and I'm going to yeah. have to go a little bit negative here. So if you had to use one word to describe what is his floor then, if, if this doesn't work out and he doesn't end up becoming this dominant player in the NFL, what would you say, you know, in one word is the reason for that? I mean, it's got to be size. You know what I mean? I'd love to be more creative and go back to some sort of <laughs> leopard, but it's got to be size. And the thing is, like, you know... Whenever you talk about Ed Oliver on the internet, which I have the unenviable job of sometimes talking about Ed Oliver on the internet, everybody says, well, listen, uh, don't know if you heard, Ben, but there's this fellow named Aaron Donald. I'm always like, who? Never heard of this guy. <laughs> and then, you know, like, and, and like Aaron Donald is great and he's small. Yes. Grady Jarrett. It's very, very true. Like, I do not dispute any of this. But the reason you notice those names, the reason it's very easy to rattle off names of smaller defensive tackles who are successful is because usually they aren't. And so when the small ones are good, we take notice of it. That's kind of, you know, that, that, that's the nature of the outlier, if you want to say. You know what I mean? Like I could even go and like the, the positional comparison isn't one to one, but we can talk about a guy like Mike Daniels, who obviously mm-hmm. isn't the hugest fellow on the face of the planet. And he wins in spite of the fact that he's not super big. So for Ed... It's the reality that as a smaller player, statistical odds are stacked up against him, specifically on that metric. On metric like tackles for loss, Ed Oliver's the greatest human being to ever live. You know what I mean? So it's like there's different there's different ways you, you can frame the guy. If he struggles the NFL level, it's because he can't regularly stay on the field because he simply cannot remain anchored against NFL powers in one-on-one blocks, and so he's a liability against the run. Even then, he's going to be a great pass rusher, and that's what's valuable. Uh, but it, it, it comes down to that potential weakness in his game. Okay, so you mentioned a leopard and you mentioned a jaguar. <laughs> so we got to talk about some other animals here on the podcast today. We've seen some pictures on Twitter that have raised some serious character concerns, in my opinion, about Oliver. This should probably push him down to the 12th overall pick. Oh, but yes. It, you know what I'm talking about here? Listen, I'm scared of horses. I'm an equinophobe. <laughs> All this Devin White and Oliver thing, I can't stand it. Why are all these people okay with horses? Have we ever seen a draft where there's been more like high-end potential picks that are just obsessed with horses? This is weird. Listen, Baker Mayfield posed with a tiger, and everybody was like, what should we do? Be with horses. Wrong decision. <laughs> Stick to the tiger. <laughs> uh, I do think that that is a serious character concern, though, and something that should drop him down into range where the Packers could take him. Um, but we've seen very little precedent for a player being selected in the top 10 or 11 with a history of standing on horses. So I'm just saying... Uh, that that should be the case. But on a slightly more serious note, we've all heard the idea that some believe that Ed Oliver is, you know, he's really athletic, that he could play linebacker. What are your thoughts on Ed Oliver as an off-ball linebacker? So my thoughts on on the Oliver to linebacker thing is twofold. Number one, you know, the the Seahawks challenged Lonnie Johnson to a staring contest. So we acknowledge that teams do weird things at the combine. (laughs) You know, somebody asked Chris Boyd if he had both of his testicles, right? Like, this is just, like, these are things that get people get asked. Asking Oliver if he's comfortable <laughs> moving to linebacker puts him in a situation where you're testing his 
malleability. You're testing his willingness to do what the team asks of him, which a team that drafts Oliver is probably going to move him around to find his best fit. If Oliver's married, like, no, I'm a defensive tackle, right? And, like, it's going to make things trickier on your ability to be like, hey, do you want to rush off the edge right now? We think it's good for the team. So I don't, like, I think a lot of the question has to do with just testing the character of the player, right? The, the question we know for sure came from the Titans, if not from more squads. Vrabel, obviously the head coach uh, over there with Tennessee, played Mike Linebacker at like 255 or some like exorbitant weight that like isn't really seen today at the NFL. Huge dude. And so I'm sure for him, like he looks at Elver's body type. Elver's a real compact guy. And be like, listen, we'll put him at linebacker. It's going to hit destroy the world. Like, you know, Vrabel's a linebacker. It's kind of his background. My third, so I guess this is trifold. My third thought on the linebacker thing is this. It would have been cool to see Ed Oliver run linebacker drills of the combine. Like, that would have been helpful. I would have enjoyed that. Because the dude has unbelievable movement skills. And you don't see a ton of movement style drills at, at defensive tackle. You obviously see them do the bag drill and they work corners and stuff. But watching him, like, drop into coverage drills would have been really, really interesting to see just how fluid this guy is. And so I don't hate the, the, the joke. I don't hate, like, the inquisition. You know what I mean? Like, I can see how it has some value. The reality is this. Let's say Team A ranks uh, all they grade Oliver as a linebacker. Team B has him as a defensive tackle. Well, Team B is going to be the team to draft him because there's no way Team A is going to have him graded higher than Team B because Team A is projecting him to make the weirdest positional move of all time, right? Like there's no precedent for this. So even if like four of the 32 teams have Oliver, like listen, if we draft him, we're moving him outside linebacker. Well, one of the other 28 teams is going to be the team that ends up drafting him anyway because they're all going to have him graded higher than the four. And so we're not even going to see it happen. You know what I mean? Like, like a team that takes Oliver in the first round is going to take him based off the idea that he's a defensive tackle. And that's where he'll, at least initially, and probably forever, play at the NFL. Just one more angle here uh, to run this with you. Do you think that he could play, like, in a more traditional, like, edge position? Like, could he be um, – who's the Steelers' edge rusher that uh, people have compared him to? Or uh, Terrell Suggs. Could he be the guy that transitions to more of an edge linebacker if we're going to talk about linebackers? Sure. <laughs> uh, like, like, like see, I don't want to like, I think he could play corner. You know what I mean? Like I've seen the kid move and it's unbelievable. So I, I don't want to, you know, like, like, yeah, he could. It, 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 it depends on what's going to be the most beneficial for your team. Uh, where is he going to be the most successful early? So on and so forth. A guy like Oliver, like I was saying, interior pressure, very helpful. And so if, if you have a guy who can get you quick pressure from the inside, you don't want to move that guy around. Now, the idea of putting Ed Oliver on the edge giving him even like a basic bull rush and like challenging slow-footed tackles to deal with him sounds hilarious like i think it'd be very effective <laughs> and really funny but it, it it comes down to where the value is going to be i think a team that drafts oliver is likely going to find ways to move him around in sub packages they're going to rush him from the five technique they're going to use him as a as a slanter as a crasher on stunts for sure because his ability to take a corner at 275 280 is stupid like it's not human so that that like there, there's definitely that value to be found there so i think he's going to move around i don't anticipate a full-time move for him over to the edge the only way i would see it is if he's drafted as even tackle doesn't stick struggles and they they go for a full-on positional change to try to jumpstart his career that's the only way i could see it Absolutely. And we know that Mike Pettin does like to move his his uh, defensive linemen and his edge rushers around. So uh, could be a fit there. And so we'll wait to see if maybe we do get an Ed Oliver slide to pick 12 for the Green Bay Packers. But thanks again, Ben, for taking some time to talk to us on the Pack-A-Day podcast. 
No, of course, fellas. I appreciate y'all having me on. If you enjoyed our conversation with Ben, make sure you check back in next Friday with Ben uh, as he helps break down this year's offensive line class. Ben was super insightful. And if you couldn't tell from today's interview, just a ton of fun to talk to. So check back in next Friday for that. But until then, we want to thank Ben for taking the time to chat with us about Ed Oliver. You can find Ben on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. He really is an awesome follow, so make sure you stay connected to Ben and the entire team over at the Draft Network these last few weeks leading up to the NFL Draft. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun to talk to Ben, and his passion certainly comes through, as well as as his incredible breakdown of what Oliver has to do, and I know we had a lot of fun talking about that offensive line group, but certainly Kyle and myself have some thoughts on Ed Oliver, and I wanted to start just right from from the beginning um, and and from his days in high school, Oliver was a five-star recruit coming out of Houston and a consensus top 10 player in the country. So why would he become the first ever five-star recruit to sign with the University of Houston? Well, simply put, he's really close with his family. His older brother, Marcus, uh, also played football at the University of Houston and Ed is certainly his own man. He he didn't have a cell phone while he was being recruited in high school because he only wanted to talk to the schools he was interested in and only wanted them to be able to contact him. And he didn't want to talk about it. He had the confidence that he could become an NFL caliber player at any college, and he wanted to attend the place he felt most comfortable in rather than maybe a traditional blue blood And proving he marches to the beat of his own drum, his declaration to turn pro was also a little unusual. And Kyle is going to tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, there are sometimes players who declare a little bit early for the draft, like maybe halfway through their final season. And that's sometimes frowned upon teammates and coaches just because it seems like the attention is on you and maybe not your teammates and the rest of your season. But Ed Oliver declared for the draft way earlier than halfway through his final season. He declared for the 2019 draft before the 2018 draft ever took place. March 5th, 2018 was the date that I found that Oliver declared that he would be leaving school early to enter the 2019 draft, which everyone probably would have assumed. But my goodness, declaring for the draft a full year in advance is just unprecedented. And I think it speaks to how Ed Oliver is wired and the kind of drive that he has. Ed Oliver... um, just has kind of a little bit of crazy to him. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Mike Daniels has been quoted as saying that you don't need Boy Scouts in the trenches on defense. You need guys who are dogs and guys who have some nasty to them. And Ed Oliver is that kind of a guy. If you listen to any of his interviews, you definitely come away impressed with his confidence and his swagger. And it's really not a brash arrogance, I wouldn't say, but it is a huge confidence in his own abilities and a commitment to meeting his goals. And I have to admit that when I heard Al Oliver had declared for the draft a full year in advance, I was kind of put off by that, honestly. But then after listening to him in some interviews, I think it's very clear that this is a young man who simply really knows what he wants. He knows exactly how talented he is, and he is also committed to putting in the work required to meet those goals. And he's not going to let anybody stand in the way of him accomplishing what he knows he's capable of. And I think someone with that kind of an attitude and that kind of a bully mentality alongside of the athletic profile that he has is something that would 
would just be an incredible addition on this Packers defense. So, Andrew, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how much of an athletic freak Ed Oliver actually is? Yeah, and before I get to that, there was something you said that struck me. One of the people that was quoted in some of the interviews about him declaring early was actually his high school coach, who then became his position coach at Houston. And he said, um, when it came to declaring early, that Oliver didn't do that to draw attention to himself, that he did it because he didn't want to answer questions about it all season long. Are you going to declare for the draft? Are, are you going to stay in school? And he was he was just saying, I'm going to declare right now, so I never get asked that question the whole season, and he never did. And then he can just focus on playing football during the season. So I really like that. I mean, I know there was some quote-unquote off-the-field issues with the coat that Ben talked about, um, but you know, outside of those two things, zero character concerns. Seems like a guy who loves football, um, who who loves to play. And I, I like what you're talking about with that bully kind of mean streak. <laughs> um, yeah, but then getting to the athletic numbers. Um, at the combine, he didn't do a lot. He did 32 bench reps. He did. He had a 36 inch vert, and he had 120 inch broad. All super impressive numbers. Um, but that's all he did. So let's move to his pro day. And what I'm going to do, we've done this before where I tricked you into the Kendall Donerson Von Miller comparison. And I'm going to try again, a blind taste test, if you will. Um, two players, Kyle, tell me which one you would prefer. Player A had a 4.68 second 40, a 7.11 second three cone, a 4.39 short shuttle, a 32 inch vert. 116 inch broad and 35 reps on the bench. Player two was 0.05 slower on the 40, 0.04 seconds slower on the three cone. Uh, my math's not great, but 0.17 <laughs> quicker on the short shuttle. Uh, had four inch higher on the vert, four inch higher on the or longer on the broad, three less reps on the bench. So. Player A or player B? Man, just looking on those numbers, like they're almost identical. I mean, you have right. a little bit. I mean, that's the, the, the correct answer. They're almost <laughs> identical. Yeah. What, what so are we talking about? Player A is about? Aaron Donald. Player oh, B is Ed Oliver. Ed so Oliver. Wow. Incredibly similar physical traits, and and probably the biggest differentiator there, um, other than Donald had three more reps on the bench is that the short shuttle for Ed Oliver, 4.22 seconds. That's crazy. crazy. Um, But they are freakishly similar. Aaron Donald was actually listed, this is surprising to me, at 6 foot 3 quarter inches and 284 pounds. I have a feeling he plays bigger than that now. Um, But that was going back to the combine. Ed Oliver, a little bit taller and actually a pound heavier. So surprising all around because Ed Oliver has always been considered this much smaller player. I'm not saying Ed Oliver is going to be as good as Aaron Donald. Probably nobody in the league will be for a few years. But he is a similar type of player who would be a massively successful pick if he's even, let's say, 80% of Aaron Donald. And really, he has all the skills to be. And to me, his tape is just it's it's incredible what he's able to do and you have to take competition level into consideration but he's still just a freak and he jumps off the tape and i just don't see why he continues to slide down mock draft boards at all and so finally i i thought this was really funny jordan reed at, at j reed nfl on twitter 
um, had had said just to put Ed Oliver's 4.19 short shuttle time. So uh, we're getting some conflicts of 0.03 seconds, whatever. It's still amazing. In a perspective, here are some other notable results. So um, Ed Oliver basically had the same short shuttle time as Antonio Brown, Deshaun Jackson. He was faster than Saquon Barkley, Le'Veon Bell, and Julio Jones, um, and and Aaron Donald, of course, like we talked about. So, um, so when Ben is talking about how incredibly disruptive Oliver is as a pass rusher based on his quickness alone, he is not kidding. This guy is an elite, elite athlete, regardless of size. And then you factor in that he's an interior defensive lineman. And if if you're a guard, you're probably pretty nervous the night before the game if you know you're going to match up with Ed Oliver consistently. Absolutely. And I think what I love most about Ed Oliver is that he really does seem to put in the work to maximize his talent in addition to just being an incredibly talented player. Um, And I think that that is something that you get with Ed Oliver for sure. I was listening to one interview with Ed Oliver and they were asking him, why do you always line up at nose? It seems like Houston just consistently played him over the center and he kind of made a joke and he said, well, it wouldn't really be fair if I lined up at three tech to the guards. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'd be, I'd be happy to take that kind of mentality and that kind of ability in Green Bay any day. But um, I think it's safe to say that several months ago, Ed Oliver was a pipe dream at 12. Everyone assumed that he was kind of a lock to go top 10, if not top five. And Andrew mentioned those pro day testing numbers that are absolutely incredible. And that might be just enough to boost his stock back up to get him back up into the top 10. But the question is, why would the Packers be the team to stop the slide of Ed Oliver if he does indeed fall to the 12th pick overall? Because honestly, defensive line might be the strongest position group on this roster. You've got Clark and Daniels at the top, and then you've got Lowry and Montrevious Adams and Lancaster as depth. That's a pretty good group. And then we've seen that they're, you know... Considering a player like Rodney Gunter is a free agent, and we know Zadarius Smith is going to rush from the inside as well. So with so many other needs on this roster, defensive line is something I think the Packers could ignore. But when a player with the unreal talent of Ed Oliver is staring you in the face... It is simply irresponsible, in my opinion, to pass that up. And when you combine that with the fact that Mike Daniels is in the last year of his contract and the fact that we know that Mike Pettin likes interior pressure, in fact, he might actually prefer interior pressure to pressure off the edge, Ed Oliver is just probably too good to pass up if he is on the board at pick 12. And what's interesting is that the Packers, I guess Packers fandom, seems to really like the idea of Oliver at 12. Twitter just seems to be in love with this guy. But the idea of Oliver coming to Green Bay is something that has also been picked up by national media lately. You're starting to see more and more mock drafts that have Oliver's slides stopping at pick 12. So this is something to keep an eye on. I think there's a chance Oliver goes maybe even four overall to the Raiders. I think there's a chance the Bucks uh, pull the pull the trigger on him at five to be the heir of Gerald McCoy, but I think that those chances are kind of slim, and then I think the one to watch is probably Buffalo at nine. If the Bills pass on Oliver, I think that there's a pretty good chance that he gets to 12, and then Packers fans everywhere will just have uh, quite the Thursday night in a few weeks here if that ends up happening, and Ed Oliver is indeed the selection at 12 overall by Brian Gutekunst and company. Absolutely, but that is all the time that we have today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. 
You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Punnett, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jake and Mark, who will be bringing you a draft profile of Montez Sweat. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We're going to be back next week with continued coverage of the NFL draft and a preview of the offensive line group with the aforementioned Ben Solak. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember... in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap, Rogers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end, and it's the dagger, they beat Morris Playboard, to the back line of the end zone, the Packers have won it, snap to Wild, oh yes, and taken by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown, Geronimo it was by Geronimo Allison, Josh Jackson, the Recovers in the end zone in a Lambo lead to the north end zone stands. The Packers have a 6-0 lead. Pepper on third down of three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz and here they come. Pepper looking. Hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down to one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. Third and five. 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap. Ryan looks right. Close right to the Intercepted to the house. Bishop Breland. It over. Takes the snap. Blitz on. They pick it up. Lofting out. They got him. Got him.